Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the first part of our brand new series called Counterfeit Gods. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We're bring, beginning a brand new series today, and I'm just hoping that the name of Jesus um, is, is just brought forth in this series. So I'm going to share our text uh, this morning. And it's actually more than just a, a text for today. It's our series text. And I'll explain our series in a moment. Uh, but Galatians chapter 4 Uh, is where we are. Galatians 4 verse 8, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now, someone shout, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it then that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? all over again. I want to give our message a title this morning, our first message of 2022. And uh, it's a title, but it's also a question. And our title this morning is, Who Do You Serve? Who Do You Serve? You guys can be seated. Let's clap our hands one more time. Thank you so much, worship team. Who do you serve? Hey, do you mind just turning to the person next to you and just saying, hey, welcome to church today. Uh, Just so glad to see you. Uh, Every person online, so glad that you could be here today. Uh, If you're new or visiting, my name is Harrison. I'm the pastor here, and I'm just honored that uh, you took a few moments to be with us uh, today, this weekend. We don't take for granted that you're here. It's cold. uh, It's freezing cold, and I know a lot of people uh, have been sick recently, so just so glad everyone could be here. Uh, As I said, we're beginning a brand new series, and it's going to take us most likely through the entire month of January, and that's as far as it's going to go Uh, unless the Lord continues to speak. But we're starting a brand new series called Counterfeit Gods. And uh, I'm just excited for this series because what we're going to do over the next number of weeks is we are going to learn how to examine and even more so expose what I would call counterfeit gods. Another word for counterfeit gods is idols. I want to expose idols that I think many of us serve, some consciously, but most of us subconsciously. And so this morning uh, is really going to be an overview kind of for the entire series. In the next three weeks, we're going to get a little more uh, specific, but this morning I kind of want to give a broad overview of how to fight against counterfeit gods, how to fight against idols. I know uh, for a lot of us, maybe when we think about like the word idol or counterfeit god, we think of like statues. Uh, Maybe some of us think of of superheroes. Like what what is a counterfeit god? What is an idol? Um, I want to give us a super Uh, kind of broad but specific definition uh, of what an idol is, what a counterfeit God is for this series. And uh, you can write this down. It's going to be on the screen and it's going to really help us, um, especially as we try to examine some of the counterfeit gods that we have in our own life. So our definition is simply this, an idol or a counterfeit God is anything that seeks to give you what only God can give you. Anything that seeks to give you that which only God can actually give you. So uh, what that means, as I said, it's, it's broad. That means practically and literally anything can become an idol. Anything can become an idol. Um, I want to begin by, by telling a story uh, this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, Christy and I watched a documentary on Netflix, uh, and it was a documentary about one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. Uh, his name is Ronnie Coleman, Ronnie the King Coleman. Anyone know Ronnie? A couple people. Uh, like, wait, come on, somebody. Uh, if, you, if you guys want to know, like, what does Ronnie look like, uh, just look no further. Um, 
than Lael. Um, Ronnie Coleman is uh, he's a bodybuilder, and uh, as I said, some consider him the greatest bodybuilder of all time. He won a record eight straight Mr. Olympia uh, competitions. Mr. Olympia is kind of like the, 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 the top of the mountain when it comes to uh, physique and bodybuilding. Ronnie Coleman won it eight times. So Netflix had this documentary that Christy and I watched a couple of years ago, and the documentary was super interesting because what it did uh, is it kind of shot back into the past, but also shot into the present, and it was going back and forth, kind of examining Ronnie's career as a bodybuilder, but also where he is now. And uh, if you know anything about Ronnie Coleman, where he is now, uh, he's not that old. Uh, in the time of this documentary, he was in his early 50s, but if you were to watch the documentary, you wouldn't know it because he looks like a senior, uh, because like he literally cannot walk. Uh, he has crutches, he's broken his back, he's broken his neck, he's broken his hips, all from bodybuilding. And so uh, as the documentary goes back and forth, you see this beast from like 10 years ago, and then you see kind of this shell uh, of his former self, Ronnie, now. Now, what was interesting about the documentary was not so much the, the dedication and the way that he crushed weights in order to become the eight-time champion. I wasn't even so much kind of interested in the toll that bodybuilding took on his body. What was most interesting to me as I was watching this documentary is that today Ronnie Coleman literally cannot walk. He has crutches but even still he can walk like three feet. But the thing that stood out to me in the documentary is that Ronnie Coleman cannot stop working out. It's crazy when you watch it. He has crutches. He can barely walk but he makes his way over to the leg press machine and he puts on hundreds and hundreds of pounds of weight and he just continues to crush the weight. Uh, if, if you didn't hear Lael shout, he's got a motto, lightweight, right? Lightweight, baby. That's what he shouts. And so this man literally cannot walk, yet he's still crushing weight. Every single doctor that he goes to, all the surgeons have told him, Ronnie, you got to stop working out. But he can't stop working out. And as I was watching this documentary, I just thought it was so interesting because physique and fitness were Ronnie Coleman's life. In fact, it was everything that gave him life. His finances, his future, his fame, all came from, from working out. Yet where he is now in the, in the present, doctors were literally saying, if you don't work out, you could die. In the documentary, Ronnie says, I hope I don't die in the gym. He says, but if I do, so be it. And so it's interesting that this, this thing that once gave him life is now taking life away from him. And I think, and the reason I want to tell the story about Ronnie Coleman is because I think that is what idols and that is what counterfeit gods do, is they are things many times that we think will give us life. And for a season, they actually can give us life, be it purpose, be it power, be it fame. But the issue with a counterfeit God, as we said in our definition, is that it's something that is seeking to give you what only God can actually give you. And if it is not actually God, it may happen in a moment or it may happen over time, but it will do the very opposite of what God has come to do. God has come to give us life. What I want to show us is that counterfeit gods will eventually and inevitably actually take our lives away. And so as I was watching that documentary a number of years ago, I couldn't help but wonder, wow, that thing that once gave him life is now taking life away. Um, but that's just what idols do. That's what counterfeit gods do. And, and the thing in, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the very first commandment out of the Ten Commandments that God gives, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
The very first commandment God gives to the nation of Israel is one warning them about idolatry. Do not worship false gods. Now, again, a lot of us, we have this picture when it comes to a false god of maybe something bad, like a, a statue or, or, or drugs or alcohol or something that is, you can make the argument is bad. But what I want to suggest is that most of the idols that we struggle with in our life are not actually bad things. Most of the things in our life that we make out to be idols are good things. Physique, exercise are good things. The issue is that many times the reason things become idols is because we turn good things into gods. You could say we turn good things into God things. And what happens is that we end up chasing something that can never give us the satisfaction that we're looking for. So as I said, today is kind of just an overview. Um, but over the next number of weeks, I want to get really practical uh, in this series. And I kind of want to look at the three biggest counterfeit gods I think that many of us, most of us struggle with. So we're going to look at money. This going to be really good. Money for a lot of us is a counterfeit god. We're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about debt. And we're going to talk about generosity. Looking forward to that. We're going to talk about sex. This one's going to be really, really, really good. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about gender. It's going to be amazing. And then we're also going to talk about power. And in that, I'm going to talk about fame, social media, success, our careers, all of these things. Again, um, intrinsically, especially these three things, I think they're good things. But the issue is we can often turn good things into gods, and that is where we begin to create idols. And so what I want to do in this series is I want to tear down the idols that so many of us serve. As I said, we're going to start kind of broad today, and so I want to just give us three principles that can help us examine and understand the idols that so many of us struggle with. And really what I want us to understand more than anything is that idols are never merely physical. Because as I said, I want to tear down idols. And a lot of us maybe have a picture of actually tearing something down. But what I want to suggest is that most idols actually exist in our heart. And there's something deeper in it. And so in order to tear something down, I actually have to go within. And so my hope is that we can go within in this series, beneath the surface, to understand what are the things that we actually serve that we think will give us life, but perhaps taken life away. Does that make sense? So uh, I'm excited for it. Invite a friend, uh, be here, and at some point in this series, y'all going to get offended, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, so again, today, three things. Three things that can help examine and understand and hopefully give us victory when it comes to the idols that we face. So let's start in Galatians chapter 4. I read it off the start, but it gives us some important information. We're going we're gonna to read Galatians 4, and then we're going to read Romans 6, and then I'll give you my first point. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. This is Paul who wrote this, New Testament. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? If you have a Bible, underline weak and miserable forces. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So a couple of fundamental things I want us to understand and take out from Galatians chapter 4. Before God comes into your life, this is what Paul is saying. Before God, can you guys think of a time in your life before God? Maybe you're like in that phase right now, like Harrison, God's not really a thing. That's fine. 
But he says, before God, every single one of us have a moment in our life before we allow God into it. He says, in that time, you were slaves to something. This is really important. If I'm not serving God, I will be a slave to something else. It's a fundamental point we need to understand. And the thing that I'm slave to, he says, who are by nature not God's. Right? God comes into my life, and then I see the things that I served before were not actually God. It, it literally it, it gives it a lowercase g. What was interesting, I talked about Exodus chapter 20. The very first commandment, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. But if you go into the original language, the best rendering of the first commandment is not even that you shall have no other gods before me. Because a lot of that, the, the imagery that comes up is that there's God up here, and then like a secondary God, a third, fourth, like make sure I'm number one. But when you understand the language, that's not what he's even saying. The language best translated is you shall have no other gods in my presence. And if you understand what he's saying, it's literally saying the reason you should have no other gods in the presence of me is because they are nothing compared to me. In Paul's language, they're weak and miserable forces. So really what God is saying, the commandment is actually saying, I'm so offended that you would have anything in my presence when I am a real God and you want to bring something that is not even real, a lowercase g kind of thing. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is saying, he's really echoing the language of Exodus 20. And what he's saying, he's saying, if you have something that you are serving that is not God, it is a weak and it is a miserable force. It's something, you could say it like this, that is powerless to save. It's powerless to give you what you're looking for. Sex and money and power are all good things. But if you make them God things, they will be powerless to save you. You will not find what you're looking for. In the context of Galatians, the weak and miserable force, the counterfeit God that he's trying to combat is the counterfeit God of religion. Because what happens in Galatians is a church that has been set free by Christ, yet they want to go back to the old way under the law. And what Paul is saying is like, yo, why do you guys want to go back? That didn't get you anywhere. But the reason that you want to go back to religion, I'm getting ahead of myself, is because it connects to power. As you're going to see, a lot of the subcategories connect to the three bigger categories. But the reason religion connects to power is because the more religious I am, the better I think I am. And that gives me some form of pseudo power. That's why religion is intoxicating. But come back for the power sermon. That's not today. But what he's saying, he's saying, if Christ has freed you, if Jesus has freed you, why do you want to go back? Why do you want to go back to something that is weak and miserable? You see, what we need to understand, this is the whole biblical story. I'll, I'll tell you what happens in the Bible. Jesus frees us, but we long to go back to slavery. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament. Jesus frees us, yet we long to go back to slavery. And so Paul is, is shouting from the rooftops, you have something better in Christ. You have freedom in Christ. Why do you want to go back to these slaves? Why do you want to go back to these idols? You see, the reason that Jesus takes us out of idolatry is to bring us into freedom. The reason that God wants to deliver us from counterfeit gods, from idols, is to bring us into freedom. Does that make sense? Now, let's see what does freedom in Christ look like. Romans chapter 6 gives us the answer. Romans chapter 6 verse 18, it says, You have been set free from sin. Yes. And have become slaves to righteousness. Righteousness. 
You have been set free from sin. Yes, I'm no longer a slave. But now you become a slave to righteousness. In other words, you become a slave to Christ. This is really important to understand. This is fundamental. Because we know that the reason that God does not want us to fall back into these idols is in order that we may be free. But we need to understand what freedom in Christ looks like. Paul lets us know what freedom in Christ looks like. I am no longer a slave to sin, but I'm now a slave to righteousness. So here's the big point I want us to understand. This is going to help us fundamentally in our lives. You can write it like this. We are all serving something. Put another way, I am a slave to something. The title of our message, I said, is who are you serving? What are you serving? If I could, if I could give this title a secondary title, I would call this message the illusion of freedom. The illusion of freedom. Because at the end of the day, I think, especially even when it comes to church, we have a convoluted picture of what freedom actually is. And a lot of times, our picture of freedom is not actually from the Bible, but it's more influenced from the world. And I want you to understand, this is really important, there is a big difference between freedom, specifically Christ's freedom, and autonomy. When the world talks about freedom, most often it is not referring to freedom that Christ talks about, but it's referring to autonomy. What is autonomy? Autonomy is essentially this. I do what I want, when I want, and no one tells me what to do. The world calls that freedom. That's not biblical freedom. So for, for the sake of today, I'm teaching a little bit. We're going to call that autonomy. And so autonomy says, I do what I want, when I want. Put simply, my body, my choice. That's autonomy. Freedom is, is different. The world says, my body, my choice. You want to know what the Bible says? It says this. It says, you have been bought with a high price. You are not your own. Therefore, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So the world says, my body, my choice. God says, my body, I can say my body, God's choice. He tells me what to do with it. Yet, that's labeled as freedom in Christ. And we need to understand this. And I'll give you a biblical example, like what does that look like, right? And we get this confused because we sing like, who the sun set free, I am free indeed. And so we're like, yes, I can do what I want. <laughs> Freedom in Christ looks like this. Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, there's a group of people I want you to, this is New Testament, group of people I want you to, to minister to. They're Jewish people. And Jewish people get circumcised. Timothy, you're not circumcised. I know you're a grown man, but I'm going to circumcise you right now. Why? Because you're free in Christ. And freedom in Christ looks like my body is not my own. <laughs> it's his. And so a grown man gets circumcised. How's that for a sales pitch? <laughs> but that's what freedom in Christ is. It is I am no longer my own, but I'm with Jesus. You see, autonomy says I do what I want when I want. Freedom in Christ says I've been bought with a price, therefore my body is not my own. But this is important to understand, and this is why so many of us get confused. You can put it like this. It's because what the world calls freedom, God calls slavery. What the world calls freedom, autonomy, I do what I want, I am my own, no one tells me what to do, the Bible calls that slavery. Can I give you an example? You see, little kids, like when they're younger, they dream of what they think is freedom. But what kids mostly dream about is not freedom, but autonomy. 
right? That's why little kids say things like, I can't wait till when I'm older and no one's going to tell me when to go to bed and no one's going to tell me what to eat. And that's their picture of freedom. That's not freedom, it's autonomy. And the reason we know it's not freedom is because when you're an adult, it's the opposite. I can't wait to go to sleep. Right? And it's like, and if I eat bad food, I got heartburn. And so adults know this, that when you're older, you do not call a lack of sleep and eating whatever you want freedom. Many times, freedom as an, as an adult is getting eight hours of sleep and eating healthy. But when you have a childlike perspective, you're only seeing things not through the lens of freedom, but through the lens of autonomy. And let me explain this, because as, as an adult, you know if you don't get sleep and if you eat like crap, the next day won't be that good. And so you're no longer free because you're going to be a slave to being tired. You're, if you eat terrible all the time, like kids dream, I want to eat cookies every single day. If you eat terribly, you're no longer free because you become a slave to your body because you can't do the things that you want to do. And so this convoluted picture of freedom is just autonomy, which says I do what I want when I want, but the Bible actually calls that slavery. It's not freedom. And I use the example of kids, but sex is the exact same thing. Because the world says ultimate sexual liberation means that no one puts any restrictions on me. I do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And that is what will lead me to ultimate pleasure. Bible says the opposite. No, 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 that will lead you to slavery. And it can start out really good, and chances are it will start out good. But over time, you make that good thing a God thing, you'll end up a slave. Does that make sense? And so if what the world calls freedom, God calls slavery is true, the inverse is true as well. What the world calls slavery, God calls freedom. What the world calls slavery, God calls freedom. What does that mean? A lot of people think about following Jesus. And they say things like, you're telling me that you follow Jesus? That he's the Lord of your life? You're telling me that you don't have sex before marriage? You're telling me that you give away 10% of your income? You don't swear? You don't get drunk? You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't... Like, that sounds like, that's a, lot, that's a lot of rules, bro. Now, Christianity is, is not about rules. Don't get it convoluted. But what I want us to understand is that all of those barriers that God gives us are not to enslave us, but actually to free us. God's vision is liberation. God's vision is freedom. And the thing that the world gets confused is they think that freedom comes from autonomy, Freedom does not come from autonomy. Freedom actually comes from subjugation, to come under something. That's what Amy read during worship, Philippians chapter 2. Right? Christ, Christ came low. He did not consider himself equal, but he came low, and then God elevated him. Freedom is found only when we come under the one in which our heart is looking for. And so what this means, and I'm preparing us for this series. I'm preparing our hearts I know maybe it seems heavy today. I started with this today because I don't want to just come into 2022 talking about the debt that you all are in. Like that, would be, that would just be too much. But what I want us to understand is that the ways of the world, this is important, will often come in conflict with the ways of Jesus. And so I need to make sure, does my worldview come from Jesus? Specifically, does my picture of freedom come from Jesus? Or does it come from something I watched on the news? Because they're two very different things. And I just think that this series can be relevant to all of us. And the reason is because many of the idols in our life are good things. 
And so that means a lot of the good things in my life become idols. And because, as Paul says, there's this pull. All of us face the pull to go back. Galatians 4, he says, plainly, he says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again? Why do you want to go back? All of us have a pull in our heart. And so what we need to understand, and this is going to help us, we were created to serve. We were created to serve. Listen, you can leave God. You can leave church. You can say, hey, I'm done with God. I'm done with church. I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to give. And guess what? You have the autonomy to do that. What you do not have the autonomy to do is stop serving. Because whether it's God or something else, you will serve. It is in your DNA. You are a being created in the image of God, but we are not God. And so we actually need a God to worship. And so if we do not worship the God of the universe, we will worship something. So you can say to yourself, I'm going to have a me season. I'm not going to serve God. And you can feel really free and really autonomous, but I guarantee you, I promise you, you will become a slave to something. Mainly money, power, or sex in the subcategories that fall within them. So if I understand there's a pull, what do I need to do? I think the answer, as I said, is to understand ourselves even more, to go deeper, to get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is this. Why do I go back? Why do I want to be enslaved? Why can't I just move forward? So what I want to do now is I want to shift back to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 44, if you have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, and, And Isaiah here is going to give us some help, I think, with identifying He's going to give us a principle to help identify the idols of our heart. So in Isaiah 44, um, he's writing to the nation of Israel, and he's writing prophetically because this is God speaking. And God is asking the Israelites a simple question. Why do you serve idols that are made out of metal, wood, so on and so forth? That's the context. Make sense? This is what he says. Again, God speaking. He says the idols, verse 18, they know nothing. And they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds are closed so they cannot understand. Yet no one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or the understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? So I'll explain this scripture because you guys aren't laughing. It's a pretty funny passage of scripture. You guys should be banging your knees right now. The essence of what Isaiah is saying is this. He's saying you have these gods, pieces of, pieces of wood. He's like, you chopped down the tree. You made this thing. With the leftover wood, you go and make supper. And then you set up this thing that you made with your own two hands and you worship it. He's like, how foolish are, how foolish are you? Because the very definition of a God is that if I'm going to worship a God, a God by nature has to be greater than I am. If the thing that I worship is not greater than I am, I am actually making a fool of myself. To worship and serve something that is not even as great as me is the ultimate example of foolishness. That is what he is saying. And so I love this line. He says, no one stops to think. They're on their knees in front of this little thing they made out of wood, and no one stops to think, wait a second, I made this myself. Wait a second, we're cooking chicken on the other half tonight. Now you guys are laughing. 
No one stops to think. You want to know how so many of us will get caught up in idolatry? Because I don't think any of us worship gods. And maybe you're rubbing Buddha at home. I don't know. But the reason that so many of us will end up serving, worshiping things, material things, superficial things, is because Isaiah says no one stops to think, what am I actually doing? You see, we follow a culture and we live in a culture in a time where things move so fast. And most of us are just replications of what we see, be it online, TV, so on and so forth. And so what happens is we get so caught up in this race, chasing after things, that we then begin to serve. But at the start, we hope that they would you know, serve us but we begin to serve them and we have no idea they, don't be, they become idols because none of us stop and think. So here's the point. If I know that I'm serving something, what I need to do is I need to take time to stop and think. Listen, I know life goes fast. I know y'all really busy, but you need to stop and think. Because if you do not take time to slow, if you do not stop and think, I can guarantee you, you'll be worshiping something that you never intended to worship. Can, can I go back to Ronnie the King for a second? Now, I don't want to judge him because I don't know him. And, and again, um, the thing about why we don't judge is because a lot of the stuff that we serve are good things. And so we start with good intentions. But I, I was trying to do some research on why Ronnie doesn't stop working out. Um, and one of the things that I found was that he says he doesn't want his muscles to atrophy. Right? It's like, if I stop working out, my muscles will atrophy. Now, Ronnie has four kids, a wife, four young kids. Uh, could literally die, but he's saying, I don't, want, I don't want my muscles to atrophy. Now, I happen to believe that he probably thinks that's the issue, right? Why do I work out so much? I don't want my muscles to atrophy. But to work out to the point where you cannot even walk and you're willing to die, there has to be something more than I just don't want my muscles to atrophy. And I'd be willing to guess, if I could give the king some truth serum and say, you cannot leave this place until you stop and think a little bit deeper. And I don't know the answer, but I do know that there is a reason that is beneath the surface for why he will not stop working out. And it is not simply because he wants his muscles not to atrophy. But Ronnie, like so many of us, just end up going. We just keep going, we just keep going, and we never stop and think what is going on beneath the surface. Can I tell you this? The, the way that we defeat counterfeit gods, the way that we defeat idols, is to go beneath the surface and understand and examine what is going on in my heart. What do I actually want? I just, um, I read a book by, by John Eldridge, you guys may have heard of the author, called Desire, and he, he tells a story about a, this kind of principle where he's trying to really understand himself and take a second to ask himself clarifying questions, um, mainly, what do I actually want? I think that's a very clarifying question to understand your idols, what do I actually want? And so he tells this story, this is John Eldridge, um, he's married, and he was walking one day. And he said, this beautiful woman passed him. And as this beautiful woman walked by, he said in his head, the very first thing that came to his mind uh, was just one word. Wow. Beautiful woman walks towards him. All he could think of was wow. And, and because he's a married man, he said, immediately I felt bad. Right? 
I shouldn't be thinking those things. So he's like, I tried to just think, you know what? Like, I'm going to defeat lust. I, I'm not going to think, not going to think. Don't think about her. Don't think about her. Don't think about her. Uh, and then what happens a lot of times when you try not to think about something, you just end up thinking about it more. And so it wasn't working. And he could feel himself starting to lust. And so because of this principle, what, what, do, what do I actually want? He's like, I decided to put it into practice. And so um, instead of just trying to clench my knuckles, not think about anything, he's like, I asked myself a clarifying question. When this woman went past me and I said, wow, what did I actually mean by that? And he said, without even thinking about it, this, this thought came into his head. And it was this. He said, this woman is the grand prize if you are truly a man. And what he began to realize in that moment was that what he didn't realize is that for years and years and years, he had this twisted picture of what masculinity was. And for him, masculinity, and for men in this room today, I know a lot of us think this way, for him, masculinity was tied directly to sexuality. Meaning, if I'm a man, I should be able to get and or conquer whoever I want. That is what it means to be a man. And so what he realized in that moment is that he could try to battle lust all he wanted, but lust wasn't actually his issue. It was much deeper. He had an issue about what masculinity actually was. And because he was trying to battle the wrong thing for so many years, he never got to the root because he never asked the clarifying question, what do I actually want? What do I actually mean by that? And so what I want to suggest is that so many of us get stuck in this cycle trying to get rid of certain things in our life, but we never get deeper. We only cling and clean the surface. But what you need to understand is that surface solutions will always produce surface level changes. I can change behavior, but God doesn't want to change our heart because he's not in the business of behavior modification. He wants heart transformation. But so many of us, we just look to behaviors. And we don't ask clarifying questions. What do I actually want? You see, the end goal for him was not just to not look at women, but it was have a healthy picture of sexuality, a healthy picture of masculinity. That was far better than just trying to defeat lust. But that's where a lot of us go. And so what I want to do today and in this series, because we're going to get really specific. Again, I'm keeping it broad. But throughout this series, throughout this week, let's ask clarifying questions what do I want? Especially, come on, we're in, New Year's, we're in New Year's resolution mode, right? A lot of us, you know, New Year, New Me. Um, how about this one? Some of us are like, you know what? 2022, I'm going to shop less. Anyone make that one? <laughs> like, I, I, I bought a few too many clothes last year. I'm going to shop a little bit less. Now, that's a really good New Year's resolution. But what I want to wait just to suggest to you today is that your issue is not that you buy too many clothes, that's what you think your issue is, but it's not your actual issue. And so the clarifying question you need to ask yourself is, when I go to buy new clothes, specifically when I don't need new clothes, why am I doing this? And I would wager to believe a part of it, if we're really being honest, is like, you know what? The reason I buy these new clothes is not because I need new clothes, but maybe new clothes will get me new compliments. And maybe I don't really feel that great about myself and one of the ways I feel better about myself is when people give me compliments. And so you can cut off buying stuff, but your issue is self-image, not that you buy too much. And so you're trying to cut down the wrong idol. You guys understand what I'm saying? So we've got to ask, we've got to stop, 
and think. Someone shout stop and think. Stop and think. Come on, same thing, social media. It's like, you know what, I'm going to post a little less this year. Right? I'm, I'm not going to post more than 300 times in 2022. Again, your issue is not posting. You can post every single day, 13 times a day, and it can be extremely healthy. The issue is why do you post? You got to ask yourself this clarifying question. Why do you post? And maybe for some of us, like, well, you know what? Like, I don't, I don't get a lot of affirmation. But every single time I get one of those little red hearts, like, it feels really good. And the more red hearts I get, the better I feel. But the only issue is after a day, the picture kind of goes dry. And so I need a new picture because I need new hearts because it helps me feel good about myself. But the issue is this, specifically with women, and you know this to be true, is that if you want more hearts, you need to show a little bit more of yourself. Right? I got 30 likes, but this is me in the turtleneck. Like, what would happen? Come on, we're just being honest, right? What would happen if I just, if I just showed a little bit? more, but this is the thing with idols, because they're the same as God. You were created to serve God. You will serve your idol. And many of the people that started out for freedom, right? Oh my gosh, like, can you imagine? Like, I heard that Kim Kardashian got paid a million dollars to put some shampoo on. Like, what if someone paid me money? And it starts off with this, this picture of like, I think I'll be free, but then we end up serving the very thing that we thought would free us. Because we never take time to stop and think. Listen, I, I talked about it a little bit with, with John Eldridge's story, but I know many of us in this room are struggling, battling pornography addictions, trying to fight against it, trying to win. Listen, that moment you feel like you're going to fall, you, you know the feeling. It's just stop for a second and ask a clarifying question. What do I want? Because I can almost guarantee it is not what you think it is. It's like, you know what? I'm actually really, really lonely right now. You know, I just, I actually just crave some intimacy. That's what I want. So we, if you just try to cut off the behavior but never get to the root issue, you just end up in this vicious cycle. Here's a scary one. Church is the exact same thing. Volunteering can be the exact same thing. Because we can say, man, I'm, I'm the server of the year. I served every single weekend. I went downtown, I, I handed out a million back, like it was amazing, and all that stuff is good. But again, it's good things that become God things. And so a very clarifying question to ask yourself is why do I serve? And if in some way it revolves back to you, well, I like the way that people look at me when I, when I do this. I like, the, I like the compliments. We need a heart check. Because the good thing if it comes a God thing, you'll end up serving it and you will end up in this vicious cycle. And look what Isaiah says next, talking about this person who doesn't stop and think. He says, such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads them. There's this picture of you're chewing on ashes. You're chewing on something that is bitter, that's crumbling in your mouth that will not satisfy. But he says their deluded heart misleads them. The reason that we end up falling after these counterfeit gods is because our hearts have been deluded. And so what I want to do is I want us to get a clear heart in this series. And I want us to cling to the thing that we're actually looking for. Because he continues, he says, such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads them. He cannot save himself or say, is not this the thing in my right hand a lie? 
Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You see, we were never meant to be autonomous, but we were meant to be free. And the freedom that Christ offers is only found when we begin to say, I'm here to serve you, Jesus. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need. That's what we want. That is what freedom in Christ is. But here's the thing. He says a deluded heart misleads him because he cannot save himself. You need to underline that. He cannot save himself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. In 2022, if my goals are all about what I can do, I'm here to tell you, you cannot save yourself. You can't do it. But he says in verse 22, this is God speaking. He says, I have swept your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Here's my appeal for this series as we begin. Jesus is shouting out, return to me. Maybe today your, your mind has been jogged a little bit about some of the things that you've been serving, some of the things you've been chasing after. My prayer is that in the next three weeks to become crystal clear. But I want us to understand behind every idol, there is a father whose arms are wide open. And this message is the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He says, return to me for I have redeemed you. Listen, this is the thing. We're all looking for something. And the thing that we're looking for is a savior. And there is no such thing as freedom without a savior. And everything else in life will not, cannot save you. And in fact, it will actually end up trapping you. And so today, I want us to end this message with a picture. Not, not of shame, not of serving the wrong things, chasing the wrong things, not, not of, of deluded or twisted autonomy, but I want us to finish this message with one picture and one picture only. It is a picture of a father with his arms wide open and his name is Jesus and he's saying, return to me, son, return to me, daughter. There's no life there. Nothing's left over there. That's, that's gone. Come to me and I will give you life and life abundant. Can we just stand for a second, church? I just want to give us a moment to receive. I'm going to pray for us. But if you're just like, Harrison, man, like I've, I've been in that path, chasing the wrong things. Um, I, just, I just, I need something this year. If you want to just receive the, the Father whose arms are wide open, I just want to pray for you. Um, if you just want to say, man, I'm renouncing idols, I'm renouncing those things that I've been chasing after, I just want Jesus. If that's you this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just raise your hand? Jesus, you see every single hand and you know every single heart, God. And I just thank you that your arms are wide open. I thank you that you're a good father. I thank, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you that you've redeemed us and you've called us by name, God. And so I just pray, Jesus, that this week, this season, this year, we can just stop and think and ask ourselves, who have we been serving? And Jesus, I pray that the cry of our hearts would find satisfaction in you, God. Our hearts 
our longing, our hearts are aching until they find satisfaction in you, God. So I just pray that we find that this year, God. I pray for just a grace over this season, a grace over these people, Jesus. And you just see our hands. You see our hearts. We love you. We love you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's clap our hands for the Lord. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to get in touch with you. Until next time, take care.